Hey Westside, how's it going? Uh, here's our weekly devotional for you, our 10-minuter. Usually I say that and go 20, but not today. Super punctual on time. Uh, we're going through Acts, we'll go through Acts 17. This week, uh, you're going to be reading from Acts 15 to 17, and it's going to be great. So look at your daily readings, you can get them online uh, at our website, and you can Check out what our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday readings are. Find an Acts reading buddy. I want to encourage you to do that. Never too late to start. Um, so do that. Go for coffee together in your small er group. And we just want to connect. We want to get into the Word. So today we're going to go into Acts 17. And we're going to pick up the story of Paul uh, in our series, Acts to be Continued. And the whole theme is that the story of the... Uh, Acts is the story of the beginning of the church. Uh, in the New Testament, and uh, to be continued is that story is still being written. So it's being here, written here at Westside and in the, the church around the world. So um, what is to be continued for us is how we are going to read Acts 17 today as we get into the story of Paul. And so, so Acts 17, if you have your Bibles, or you can read along, it's right there, probably, or it will be. And then uh, to be continued, what I want to talk about is acts to be continued dot dot dot. It's an unfinished statement or thought. So here we are. And as we go through Acts 17, let's listen for how Paul engages with a culture that really, um, the Greek culture in Athens that, that Paul goes to is a culture of, it's the epicenter of education and philosophy and universities and it is just the epicenter of great thought. So people getting together, having conversations about truth, uh, having conversations about what's real, and discussing their worldviews, and, and combating worldviews of how I see it and how they see it. And so it's really timely for us because we live in a really polarized state right now where, like I live... Uh, Yesterday, one of my favorite, or this morning, one of my favorite golfers uh, just showed support for a political leader, and I'm like, oh man, I have a different view. I think differently of that person now. And boy, I, I was quick to jump to uh, a judgment on not just their take on uh, policies or politics, but life in general. And so, in our polarized situation that we live in, we need to really work hard at understanding the other person, acting out of love, kindness, generosity, um, loving our enemy. All those biblical truths are really playing, uh, are really coming to roost for us. Like, do we really believe this stuff? Do we really believe Acts 17? And the words in here of how Christ uh, wants us to engage and how Paul models that for us. A lot for us to learn. So, Acts 17. First of all, we need a strategy. In Acts, in Acts here, Paul has a strategy in Acts 17. It's much like a sports team in baseball. Just the World Series was, was just passed and why Snell was taken out, I have no idea. Man, manage with your gut a little bit. But anyways, so when there's a left-handed batter up, often you bring in a left-handed pitcher or vice versa. The right-handed batter, you bring up a right-handed pitcher. Use the right strategy for for the moment. Depends what kind of team you're playing, what kind of uh, defense you will, uh, you will initiate to 
try and what is appropriate in that setting against that team, against that opponent is really important. And up to now, Paul has been engaging with Jewish leaders and Roman uh, politics or Roman leadership. And he's used, uh, he's tried to use the right strategy in each setting that he is in. And now he's going to be engaging in Athens with philosophers. And philosophers had a huge influence on Greek society. Um, they were seen as, as the ultimate thinkers, and they were looked to, and they had lots of influence. Much like, really, it's much like the media today has lots of influence on us. Where are we getting our information on what is true and what is out there, the stories that are out there? We rely on, on media. And just and Philosophers were kind of their media of what is true and what is out there and what is real. So fascinating times then, fascinating times now. So let's notice what Paul noticed. Let's look to what God, what Paul felt and what Paul did, how Paul engaged. So in Acts 17, Paul will show us a strategy for engaging with, with a group of people. Uh, and these group of people probably did not have a great understanding of Jesus or the Bible. So Acts 17, 16 is where we're going to pick it up. And here in this scene, we have uh, Paul who is alone. He's been sent on where Paul has been in the past, the last three, four, really everywhere Paul's been in years past, he has uh, created, or two things kind of happen. A revival, people come to know the one true God. Uh, they come to know Jesus. And uh, the second part is um, riots. So revival and riots are front and center where Paul goes. So he keeps having to kind of flee and start on. So he's been sent on ahead because it's been a ruckus behind him. So... Um, yeah, revival, riots, ruckus, and now here Paul is in Athens. So Acts 17 verse 16 is where we're going to start today. So what does Paul notice? What is he feeling? And what does Paul do? So while Paul was waiting for them, his buddies, they're back there. He's in Athens waiting. <clears throat> while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, <clears throat> he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. So what does he notice? He, notice all, he notices all the idols in the city. And then, you know, a part of me thinks like, it's like, kind of like going to Vegas. Like, again, I have not been to Vegas since I was, I think I was like 11 when I was there last, or the one time I was there. And, but when you go to Vegas, my thought is you go there and you're just overwhelmed by the sights. And you look around and, if you have a godly worldview or a Jesus is Lord of my life worldview, I think you would go to Vegas and you look around and go, this is other. This is something else happening here. And Paul has this sense here in Athens of this is other. And what does he feel? He notices the idols and what does he feel? He was deeply troubled. Um, and that word, those words deeply troubled are really words where he is like, is like in internal turmoil. Like he is, he is having a problem with all these idols. So what does he do? Well, in Acts uh, 17, 18, or well, in 17, it's, first, this is what he does first in verse 17. He went to the synagogues. So to, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So he starts in the synagogue, then he goes to the public square. And he also had a debate 
with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans are a, a group of, so these are the two main groups of philosophers. The Epicureans are a group of people who really mine the depths of life for ring out the most possible uh, pleasure and desire. Uh, and it really grew. It didn't start off quite as bold as ringing out every desire, but it really uh, started to take that on as time moved on through that movement of you don't deny yourself everything. You want it, you feel it, you take it, you do it. And then you have the Stoics. And the Stoics, uh, as you can maybe guess by the word Stoic, uh, is a little more or a lot more run not by emotion, but by logic, uh, by reason, by ethics. And really a repression of your emotions for, to a great degree, much more Spock-like. You know, you look back, you evaluate, and you make your decision, and that is life. Life is almost to be endured. You work through the hardships, and you think it through. And they say, uh, when he told them about Jesus and the resurrection, this is what they both said. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? That word babbler, the, other, uh, the actual translation of that word is, who is this, like this bird feeder, this this like this bird who's picking up scraps, fragments of food. These aren't even his thoughts. They're like fragmented thoughts. Who is this babbler? Well, in verse 19, he says this, then they took him to the high council of the city. So the Epicureans and the Stoics take him to this area called Mars Hill. And they said, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You were saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Now, it should be explained, is what the next verse says, that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So this is good. This is new. Bring it on. But they still remember they called him, who is this babbler? Do they have this ultimate respect for him? Doesn't really seem to play out this way. And here is Paul, how Paul addresses. This is a strategy for Paul in his addressing of these people at the high council. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in every way. You were very religious in every way. What a way to start. He didn't say, I see you have all these idols here. You bunch of pagans. You sinners. You are all going to hell. He doesn't seem to start off that way. And remember, he's, he'll start a riot. That, he's not against that. But he tries to engage with them on their level. And I love how he starts this. Men of Athens, I notice you're very religious in every way. You're all about religion. And then the next verse. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Uh, the Greek translation is to, uh, like, agnosticus theos. It is like to the unknown God. So that agnostic, that agnostic word that we have comes from that, the unknown. And so if you're an agnostic, which many people would claim to be, it's like you can't know or no one knows what it means to follow God or the idea of God or how this all plays out. You would be an agnostic if you would say that. And so you can't know or you don't know. So that's an agnostic. That's where we get that word from, to an unknown God. 
The God whom you worship without knowing, though, is the one I'm telling you about. Paul says, I can tell you about that God. That unknown God, I'm going to tell you what that God's all about. And then he proceeds to do so. Uh, For the next few verses, in verse 26, we'll pick it up. From one man he created all the nations. So one God, not this pantheon of gods that the Greeks would follow. Uh, he created one God, one from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. So one source, one blood. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So you're not in control. God is in control. Now, I've heard this verse, boy, with the, the election next week. Um, I've heard this verse, I heard this verse used this week about be very careful who you vote for because God has set these people up in power using this very verse. And I think this is always fascinating because people use these verses when someone we want to be in power is in power. So be very careful. God has anointed them, which to me is very shaky ground because if you look at world leaders throughout history, did God appoint and set them up in all situations? Boy, there's some pretty nasty leaders out there and I can name a few and some come to mind for you probably right off the bat. So I think this next verse really helps us navigate the waters. Let's be very careful how we uh, say God is anointing people and putting them in power. Um, He says in verse 27, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, which again is a new way of thinking uh, for the Greeks. The gods are far away, couldn't be bothered. We have to get their attention. And here Paul is saying, God is not very far away at all from any one of us. And Paul says that part of God's goal in working in nations is for people to search for God. Don't search to set your country up as the one country who follows God. It is uh, set yourself up to follow God. Follow God in all things. Um, And if you take this through throughout Paul's teaching, throughout the teachings of Jesus, it's battle evil wherever you find it. Speak out against evil wherever you witness it, wherever it is experienced. Be the body of Christ and then point them to the one true God. And this is what Paul does here. And this is, he's working in nations is for people to search for God and perhaps find him. There's a perhaps find him. There is an openness to it. And as I was reading this, I was like, boy, we are unrestricted free agents. We get to choose all the time. We get to decide our actions and how things play out. Unrestricted free agents is how God has created us. Um, And it's the oldest story in the book is that as an unrestricted free agent, I will choose my way. I will choose not God's way. God can't guarantee people will find him to the extent that the future is left open for the free agents to determine the future can only be spoken of as in a perhaps. That's fascinating to me. And then verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist. He says to that unknown God, look at how this works out. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul does a fascinating thing here. He quotes two of their poets. He couldn't quote the Bible to these people because it would be irrelevant. And sometimes I find we're bringing verses or we're bringing the Bible to people who have no understanding. And sometimes I think the strategy needs to be reworked a little bit. Not that the Bible is irrelevant. It's the most relevant uh, story that we could ever have. 
the history of a people, the witness and the testimony of who God is and how the Holy Spirit works through us. But he quote, Paul here chooses to quote their poets. In God We Live, Move and Exist is a reference to a work by a Cretan poet named uh, Epimenides. And then originally the poem referred to the Greek god Zeus, but Paul now makes it refer to God and the Lord, the Father of Jesus. And when Paul says we are his offspring, that's a quote from a Greek poet named Aratus. And Aratus is, uh, came from the city of Tarsus. Notice where Paul is from. Paul is acquainted with this. He knows how these people think, and he engages them in a way that is connecting, in a way that is powerful, that has meaning, and hopefully draws them in and into deeper reflection on what could possibly be true, what could possibly be possible. And then 30 to 34, but this is the response, because there's no guarantee, there's a perhaps in this. God overlooked people's, and this is a huge warning that, that Paul sends out. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. He says there's something more here, a lot more. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's this man? Well, he has approved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. The man is Jesus Christ, full of grace and mercy is set up as our judge, which is really good news. But Paul still says, you need to repent and declare Jesus as Lord. And the response of the people is typical of a lot of agnostics, people who say, I don't know how this all works. There's like closed-minded agnostics who are like, no, you can't know, it's impossible. And it's like their hands are over their ears and they kind of shout it out. And there's open-minded agnostics saying, I don't think you can know, but I'm open to a conversation. And Paul engages both sets. But when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. In contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him, became believers. Among them were Dionysius, uh, a member of the council, and a woman named uh, Damaris, and others with them. Some believed, some didn't. There's this huge, perhaps, as ultimate free agents. We get to decide... So what's to be continued for us this week? What's to be continued is to, we need to understand our context and know how to engage clearly, yet in a way that's, that draws people in. And Paul didn't shrink back from the message. In a way, we're supposed to be so relevant we are, because the story of Christ is the most needed message out there, the gospel message. But in some, in, by many people, it'll be seen as completely irrelevant their lives, what they're going through. So to me, we're supposed to be the most relevant, irrelevant place ever, following God's lighting, our guidance and leading. What we're supposed to do, what's to be continued, is that we can be a group of people who are a convincing minority. I think that's a great term for us, a convincing minority who love people well, who are engaged with their communities, and the people who are deeply troubled by those who are missing out and those who are lost. Let's pray. So God, you are good. Guide us, lead us, help us discern. And may our ways be your ways. May we understand our culture, love all people, and point them to you, Lord. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Go with God. Have a great week. Maybe see you Sunday, if you're seeing this before Sunday.